I'm Nick. And I'm Sean. And, and these, these are Our Fermenting Thoughts. I'd love to know what you think about Brewdog and AB and Bev and China. <laughs> Obviously not as independent things as I think listeners and yourself know what I'm referring to there. But maybe for people that don't know what I'm talking about, why don't you fill us in, Sean? Well, people have given it the large one again that they're um, you know, entering the the wonderful market, the new market like they always do. Um and and we're all meant to sort of wow incredible pioneering activity etc cetera, etc cetera. um where is the reality is that they're an unknown um so of course they're being embraced with all arms but they're just i just get, get fed up like we all do with this fact that they're not a super macro now we, we all know the capital behind them um and you know to be sort of playing the line that they're adding adding value around and above an imbev uh, is not not sitting too well with me. Um, like you say to the general punter, um, is that a helpful comment? Um, not really. I, I, I think that you have to study their whole bottle to get more insight. But you know, where, wherever they've gone in the world, um, there's a kind of a blast approach, you know, and you know the punks are coming in. Um, and we're all going to have a riot, and it's going to be great. Whereas, in <laughs> fact, um, the reality is that you know, in terms of global brand positioning, um, it, it would be appreciated from all parties. I think press, individual customer, etc. That there's more of a a subtlety of comment and a, a surround of information about well, why have you gone there? Um, what what's the actual which exact places you going onto the ground? What research has been done? And I say that against the background of you know, not knocking everything Brewdog does because I never have done um, and never been overly voluble about it because we all know the upside of of the changes they made to the perception of craft beer. Um, and I only wish they'd re-employ that and re-engage that in their PR and statements because, you know, they're not all things to all people and nor is any brewery um, or beverage for that matter. And, you know, if, if, even if I took the UK, just purely on a commercial statement point of view, return to the UK for a minute um, before they go blasting off into other global territories, is that, you know, they have the capital to roll out however many bars they did in the UK, let's call it 80, 100, um, you know, in that initial phase. And it's just like, well, why did you do that? Why did you not make, you know, money that... Uh, the smallest indies only wish they had one percent of you've just blasted out a bar rollout and put a brew dog in areas and and places that that arrogantly the word you has to be used you, you think are going to be just the greatest addition to said town or city i'd say 30 percent of that rollout performed both commercially for them but also, if they thought about it as a process and uh, and a and a indication of the way in which they were going, um, they could have saved themselves a lot of money um, and and uh, and had a better chance of a better percentage of that rollout performing, just from a pure commercial statement point of view. So, to cite ease of example, not to be all London about it or, or 
pompous or pretentious, but you know, putting a brew dog bar into central Putney was always going to fail. <laughs> you know, it's rah rah rugby. Let's have a real ale type territory, um, and we don't want this. We don't understand it. We don't want it. And you've just whacked it into one of our now. You know, am I having a rant? Um, I don't think so. I'm just making a, a statement of the language that they use and the that we're all meant to go. God, champions of the world. You know, um, it's it's running a bit thin. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I would argue that they have become a global company. I mean, obviously they've got oh, absolutely. their brand everywhere else. They don't have the portfolio that the Heineken's and AB InBev's have got and so on. But you, you have to think that the way people conduct business has changed since those companies were founded, <laughs> however long ago that was, you know, I don't know, a long time. So the collaborative nature of it, where it's not like they have just been swallowed up by AB InBev or by Heineken or whoever. Asahi was a new one to me the other day. I, I didn't realise that Asahi had, it was either the brand rights or something for BrewDog in Japan. But I, I definitely think they've become a one of the global brewers. Obviously, they're not the size of maybe Molson Coors or whoever making that same volume but it's the 21st century and the business operates differently. So I don't, I don't know why we still look at them, I don't, whoever we is, <laughs> why craft beer drinkers and stuff maybe still look at them with such disdain as if they were somewhere deep down one it's, it's of just, our own or something like that. I, I, personally, I just like more honesty of languages. But I, but I say this not just to brew dog, I say this of, of the world of brewing. You know, there's always been this... Um, you know the great myth around who gets contract brew, what who who's in partnerships with whom in 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 market. Just just say it. Why is everybody not, you know, trying to hide it and and thinking that that crass approach? Well, it's it's a bit like somebody saying to you, "Oh, you know, I'll give you this product tomorrow," but but it's kind of a white lie. Um, it's a relatively strong language, but you know, and you don't get it until you know, in, in the way that it was promoted and suggested it would look and feel and be useful. And we've yep. all gone through that experience with various consumer products that we've purchased or continue to purchase because of the 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 information is just, um, you know, if, if I want to drink, you know, if I'm that way minded, and let's just say I love Belgian beers, um, then, and I want to know, because I like Trappist beers in particular, that it's an authentic import and there's nothing in that supply chain that's not authentic so to speak now that's not to not contract brewing and the reality of logistical supply chain and contract brewing market because there's nothing wrong absolutely nothing wrong with contract brewing market but what the the consumer wants to know is that the contract brewer is brewing it as authentically um as possible and you know, presenting therefore the range and the culture and ethos of said brewery um, openly to the market. That's what I don't think BrewDog does and I don't think the macros do at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, look at Madri. We'll take Madri as an example. How, how that's being rolled out rather successfully, I might add. Um, you know, th- there's nothing Mediterranean about it other than the name. And the the idea that somehow it's this Mediterranean lager, 
And in some ways, it's just a perfect branding exercise in that they're selling this idea of being in what Spain or Greece or somewhere like that, somewhere hot, hotter yeah. than here. Would it have the same collateral that a British lager would have to people? Is it are they tapping into some psyche somewhere? Do, do people even still think like this these days about that idea of um, you know reassuringly expensive Stella Artois from France and all the rest of it? Like, uh, apologies for any French listeners about my terrible <laughs> accents. Don't cancel me. <laughs> yeah, but. That probably made that bit even worse. <laughs> uh, I can't even remember what I was saying now. <laughs> well, 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 I think I think you know. Again, it's 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 everything we all probably feel about. You know, firstly, you know, getting political for a minute, but being a Remainer out now is that you know, unless you're close to appreciation of people's cultures, appreciation of people's nuances, you've travelled in these countries. Um, I can't really answer the question. I mean, branding and marketing is a is a powerful thing, as we know. But what what I object to is is misinformation. Um, I, 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 the misinformation of the benefits of Brexit, uh, through to the misinformation about what this beer actually is, you know, and and how it came to be brewed, and is it actually relevant to the original um, area of production? Um, is, is it just a made up brand, or is it actually a you know relevant Czech Pilsner from that Czech region, you know, that's that, that's just contract brewed in market purely for logistical and, you know, obviously cost purposes so they can get to the bar at a reasonable rate for the hunter. You know, I, I don't have a problem with any of that as long as I'm told about it. You know, um, is it using the original um, malt bill, hop structure, et cetera, the list goes on. Um, and of course, you know, we have to identify the lager category is the most uh, saturated in that regard you know you've got if you go into a tide estate with tide macros we all know the story um or possibly listeners to us might not um that you know if you go into a enterprise tide pub or a punch tide pub you're going to get about 10 lagers one cask possibly if you're lucky and a couple of other random beers probably guinness or something else that's it yeah you know, and we all hate that. To play devil's advocate for a moment, though, if you think of the kind of advertising that these global companies adopt, so we're, we're talking TV advertising or YouTube ad- advertising predominantly, you've only got 30 seconds, 45 seconds to get whatever message it is you're trying to get across. And I really can't imagine most companies would use those 45 seconds or even 30 seconds to go as in depth about how the product's made or where it's from and so on. So we'll take Stella Artois as an example, as we were discussing it, you know, being this French beer and all the rest of it. Like the thing they want to get across there is, I don't know if they do anymore, but, you know, reassuringly expensive and it's, from France, or there's some French history to it. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, I have to wonder whether most consumers really care. Do they really care? I mean, obviously you care, and I care. I want to know. I, you know, I, like integrity for me is is a really core value. It really grates me. As I, it I, sounds I like it grates you. You know, but 
Well, well, I think if the, if, I mean, I, th- I think we're getting a, a bit of a reverse back. I'll answer it that way. I think we are getting a bit of a reverse back, a, a reverse back of, of significant, um, albeit maybe, you know, if you talk about global consumption for, say, Madri or one of these other, you know, brands, and you say, well, yeah, but that, that 1%, uh, and as we know, that was what the, the whole craft beer boom was about, is that, you know, 2% to or one, two, three, wherever I'm going with that percentage, um, is a big hit for a global brand. And they they have started to wake up to it, um, that people want more choice. And it's the only thing that wakes up a global macro concern anyway, is that we are losing market share and we can't gain that back by just acquiring other breweries or other craft breweries. Um, and we again, we know that fiscal cycles being and gone in terms of the top level they pay for craft breweries just by trying to secure and resecure their part of the market then we've come post-covid into a scenario of um consolidation once again buying up obviously lots of indies going down sadly um but i don't think it's changed the incremental expectation of the consumer i really don't i think it's significant and i don't think it's just you and i and i don't want to be naive about that but uh you know um it's absolutely imperative that that's constantly and volubly put out there, in my opinion, because it's all about consumer honesty of information and choice, mm. both both combined. And what we all experience in any product that we buy of any nature, or dare I say it, the way our utility companies are currently operating, I mean, we're just all getting pretty cheesed off about it. And so hospitality and brewing cannot be complacent or shouldn't be complacent in the long-term sustainable values that it says it's engaging that we don't see much evidence of you know sustainable in terms of you know the values that goes to that end drink there's nothing wrong as i've always said you know um to you know i know it's a complex world so as a past operator you know i wasn't naive about the mix of drinks i needed my volume drivers i needed my you know, not my, just my fanciful presentation of the greatest craft beer range in history. Not at all. Um, I had my standard bearers on, on there, whether it be Guinness at my, I remember when Peroni was launched by SAB Miller when I was operating a particular venue and they did a cracking job. Uh, uh, yeah, they had an absolutely cracking job from their side of things and, and actually a more in-depth presentation to market and embrace of a variety of operators in, 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 in nailing that brand into the UK market and growing it fast. And I applaud every aspect of that. So I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an anti, um, you know, macro at all. It just, if it's done well, you know, and so I keep going back to it. What is this beer? You know, I think like you say, um, does, does the average customer care? Well, it's not whether they care or not. It's just you are empowering the staff and the venue and the company, if it's a bigger pubco or whatever, to actually, it's a point of contact, isn't it, for the customer, you know, um, whether you're serving them a wine at the table, a soft drink and or a beer. No, it is authentic. It comes from this part of Italy. Here's the history of Peroni overall. This is, you know, where it's produced these days, et cetera, et cetera. 
I think that's important. When I was behind the bar, I used to do that sort of training with every single product I had in-house with every single staff member, you know, whether it be the coffee, the soft drink, the wine, the beer. I wonder if that's why Guinness then, as a brand and a drink, has that brand collateral that maybe some of the other brands we've discussed so far don't. Because even though it's owned Guinness by Diageo, we all know the legend, the myth, the history of Arthur Guinness and St. James Gate and all that jazz. We all know Guinness is still produced in Dublin or in Abuja or Lagos in Nigeria. I think Mm. it's one of those two places for the export. And um, I'm not sure if it's it's made anywhere else, but predominantly in Ireland. Although they, they are looking to open that massive... Brewery, my, that microbrewery, quote unquote, in London, aren't they? Um, which yeah. is like some like, what fifty heck or something. Yeah, down near um, it's near Covent Garden, isn't it? Yes, I love it. Um, but you know, for the most part, the the London one aside, like, and they must do they have a place in the? I know they make different types of Guinness in the states and even other beer styles. Is there a a Guinness brewery in the USA? Or? Oh, I'm not an expert. I must admit. Um, I'll have to look into that but, one. But but again, you know, we can we can look at. I mean, I guess it goes for all of those. It'll all be out out there uh, for very, you know. Uh, thankfully, we do have the internet, and I'm sure we can interrogate it and find out the information pretty quickly. But um, but but they are a good um, choice for you to talk about because I remember when I was living in New Zealand for a short spell, and I saw in action. Um, the reach of the Guinness brand, you know, not just in the bars that I found it in, but actually, you know, in talking to the operators, you know, the support they got and the continuity and the actual quality checks mm. that, that were happening at that time. Whether that still happens, it's a cost to a business, but and I'll talk about Fuller's in a minute on that one because I do happen to know what's happening there. But, you know, and it's not to knock Fuller's per se, it's just happening in a lot of places where breweries are not they've either stripped out that cost so they don't have their quality control managers going out to their least tenanted and managed estates uh, to check that the product's pouring properly to check that the seller is appropriately set up and yep. it's having an impact um and a very negative one i was just trying to find on twitter i saw something the other day by boke and bailey called why do people like guinness so I'll put the link in the show notes for people. And it's just a really short article. It's like the answers to that might be because it's pretty, it's less gassy than other beers. It feels different in your mouth to almost any other beer. It always tastes the same. Even the dodgiest pub can't ruin it. Although I did go to one pub where they actually did, um, which was quite tragic. It's cold out. It's Sunday. I'm literally just picking some out. It's hefty, but it only has 4.2% ABV. There's one where somewhere it was like, yeah, here we go. The alcohol-free stout is better than alcohol-free anything else and so on. And it it is an exceptional drink. And I think a lot of people around the time that was written, like there's been a lot of trends on on beer Twitter recently of which have been either mild, scampy fries, mild that has really old school looking pump clips. So that's the latest one I've seen where the, the pump clip of the label looks like an old school Whitbread beer but is with a bit of a modern sheen. And finally, Guinness. And it's almost like, regardless of whether you're just a quote-unquote bog-standard drinker that 
goes out on a Saturday afternoon, Sunday evening, wherever, and you're drinking Guinness or like you're a, a people like we are in the industry or you're a beer nerd or whatever, people have that time for Guinness. And I do wonder whether it's because they, they know the story and the story still rings true, even if it is owned by Diageo. Whereas coming back to the original thing with BrewDog, BrewDog isn't owned per se by AB InBev or Heineken or Sahi or whoever. But there's all these mixed messages like the advert they put out recently about Lost Lager being better than Stella Artois as, as you know, drink this rather than that. And it's like, okay, yeah, but you've literally just done a deal in China with AB InBev who makes Stella Artois. So what is it? <laughs> you know, yeah. The- yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that's it's a testament. You know, it, it, uh, never can, it's always easy, isn't it, to not people change circumstances or change, you know, media coverage or the list goes on the social media, particularly since the, the early days of Guinness, um, if I can put it that way. But their, their marketing team and um, communications was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and uh, that's all I'm asking really. That others do the same. They have an example in in Guinness, you know, from the you know, not that anybody can afford a sparkling multi million pound advertising campaign, but you know, it's not the point. They built that gradually to the point where they could afford it, and not only did that, they they put out beautiful advertising and and also although i think this has changed you know again as a past operator you know their point of sale material um everything that you need and and appreciate as an operator and can actually use more importantly not just get sent banners and posters that you're never going to use and stay in the cellar completely pointless waste the money for everybody um guinness always sent on time ahead of time well thought out point of sale merchandising material and again that's a huge huge part of uh of the benefit of reinforcement of their mess brand message i suppose so yeah yeah Yeah, it doesn't take that much effort in some ways to just sit down with a piece of paper and think through your marketing you know I'm, i'm doing a seminar at brx this year on how to do a good job with your marketing when the budgets are being slashed because marketing budget is always the first thing to go for anyone. Like every time, oh, we don't, you know, there's a recession or whatever, let's slash the marketing budget. Yeah, let's slash the sales budget. And it's like, no, like if people don't hear about what you're doing, no one's going to find out about you, which is why I've spent so long on this new Hot Forward website because it's like the old one's out of date. It doesn't really communicate (laughs) what Hot Forward is anymore and what I've done over the last four years. And so I've done myself a disservice, but it doesn't, it doesn't take that much effort to sit down with a piece of paper and think, right, okay, well, well, what can I do? Obviously, I can't afford a huge slick campaign with horses in the ocean and all the rest of it or <laughs> dropping cats from a parachute and a helicopter. But I can neaten up my Instagram by making the photos look more appealing and... And I'm speaking to more to myself than anyone because it's not like my Instagram's the most amazing Instagram no, ever. No, but every single level, this this is what we were trying to drive at, you know, is that we're not here pontificating about, you know, just because we see things certain ways, be industry individuals or individuals. Uh, we, we're, we're just saying that, yeah, out of respect, it's, what, it's what's gone wrong 
with with in my humble opinion you know national politics it's very divisive it's very and and therefore the industry which has always been so collaborative and respectful of every single tiny part of its um um you know uh manifestation if i could put it that way and and that's been lost and is being lost week on week and you know that that goes all the way from the actual i mean yeah what needs to be put out there to the consumer again is what is actually involved in the production you know how many parts of the puzzle are there to get that pint to them because again it would all help all parties it's like that's why it's now 650 a pint and by the way you know and not because you're trying to sort of um i i just think it's important for the industry to to communicate better it really is and and that goes back to your point you know about as a small if i can put it that way independent marketer yourself through to you know the global enterprises and again the the, the start of this conversation which is brewdog going into china you know yeah great okay um but can we learn a little bit more about the relationship why you undertook it that way what parts of china is it going into why is it going into those parts of china etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah well, I guess even something yeah. as simple as a blog post that isn't spin. Well, absolutely. It's helpful about that sort of thing. and But it comes well, back well, to the politic conversation, doesn't it? Like if the politicians would just be upfront and straight about stuff, then like we'll take Brexit and there may be some people listed to that that voted to leave. And God bless you. I hope you can find some vegetables this week. But like, you know, if, and again, we didn't have a crystal ball to look into the future and see what would happen. But, like to simplify the whole a really complex issues down to a bunch of sound bites about quote unquote taking back control. Like it, it it does everyone a disservice in the way that if you write a blog post about something and it's all spin. So there probably is a blog post on Brewdog's website. I don't know. I'd have to I'm not gonna go and look right now. But if they have written a blog post, I I, I would imagine they're not gonna outline a lot of that stuff that you just said, because at least I wouldn't think they would, because that doesn't seem to be, at least as an outsider looking in, how that company operates, which is really sad. Because it if is. they would have had more integrity and and more transparency in that way, they might have kept a lot more fans. I used to drink Brewdog beer when they used to do a lot more of the sort of special beers and all the rest of it. You know, I used to enjoy them. I used to enjoy that brand. As I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, even the most staunch, hardened craft beer listeners, even friends within the industry that are very vocal about Brewdog now, I'm sure they can recall when Punk IPA used to taste amazing and all the rest of it. Well, well qualified. Well qualified. Ah! Um, and, no, and even on a personal note, you know, I have to say that, and it's important to say it against all the other stuff. Uh, the, the only problem is that as I voice my next points about Brewdog in particular, you know, that they are so sensitive and bullish that when anybody makes a comment they perceive as a criticism, you know, just like we all do in, in life, it's just like, just listen to what's being said, have a have a genuine communication channel about it, and then hopefully both parties then can come to, it's just like any customer complaint, how is it handled? You know, any customer comment, it might not, you can either see it as a complaint or you can see it as a solution that you want to provide, you know, <laughs> that's that's the way I see it anyway. And so, you know, um, when I was building other brands and placing other brands in market, 
Brewdog have always been really helpful at that end of things and you know putting me um in their estate and uh, or my one of the brands I was looking after all that sort of thing um I only wish that was the side that people knew about them more and the helpful side and the supportive side than the reverse I still think even in all this it's complex the whole brew dog thing and maybe that's why people struggle with it because like like I do agree I think they do some things really well um I think you know their website for example I know it's just a website but their website's fantastic it's a fantastic looking website and it works well and all the rest of it and that's just one tiny facet of their business I'm sure there are lots of things that they do well they've made some really bad errors of judgment they've done some things that seem to be really harmful to actual I'm, people I'm, I'm, which I'm, is really I'm, sad yep yeah. and then oh, and then you've got to take into consideration coming off the back of our autism talk which will either have preceded this episode or if people like what autism talk that'll be the next one to listen out for that um but you know james watts saying that he was diagnosed on the autistic spectrum so then you've got to, and, and it doesn't as i say to my daughter you know when she, sometimes she behaves badly it doesn't excuse bad behavior like if i'm driving <laughs> this is analogy easy for the night i was like <laughs> if i'm driving and someone cuts me up i don't get out of the car and go punch them even if they've really ticked me off like that's just that's not okay just because i feel it and and i'm i'm not making excuses for james watts behavior i don't know him so i'm not making excuses for his behavior uh, in the way that I'm not making excuses for my daughter's behaviour, but I also know, knowing my daughter and how autism affects people, that probably is a contributing factor to some of this stuff. It's just, it, and then tying all this in with our Brexit talk, it's, re, it's really nuanced and complex. And, oh, I don't know. Well, no, I mean, again, again, what we would, you know, <laughs> want to... Um, embrace people is as they get used to our fermenting thoughts is that this is not a podcast about yeah it started with the comment about, but it's about the macro scene it's about the disrespect in terms of communication disrespect is important back to the point you just made is in in anybody in our personal lives in our with our you know family lives through to every single touch point on any given day and respect for me is about telling me the truth um, not making any prejudgments about what I say or ha- might want to say, and just uh, going, can we all get into the listening space a bit more and just provide information, not not bombard people with spin, um, just like you say, blog, follow-up posts, contributive comment, and more importantly, um, you know, make sure that it's implemented. It's a cost. So what? <laughs> Mm. you know um there's a cost to everything and uh it's a positive cost so you know uh, from a numbers and sorry pounds and pence point of view it's not that that comment is not relevant what is relevant is that you know the person the consumer feels listened to given a choice and and therefore becomes a long-term loyal customer always yeah that's just the way it works well i think just to round up this episode sean as we always draw the same conclusion i feel on every time we chat 
that the moral of the story always seems to be whether you're a global beer company or an individual, don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be about right. Yeah. There you go. Um, if, if, if everyone, regardless of whether you, you make millions of hectolitres of beer or one hectolitre of beer a year, just learns not to be a twat, then we're doing well. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, you know, and of course, not forgetting that, you know, the saddest part of the Brexit, for my opinion, is that I read an article and it's just an aside, but it's just kind of adding a bit of value, hopefully, to what's just been said is that, you know, there's now a huge downturn, apparently, um, significantly data driven um, of the welcome that the British get abroad in the, the resorts that they've been visiting. Um, now, are we surprised? Uh, no. Um are said resorts seeing it as an opportunity because of Brexit and their own standards and their own reinvention of embracing their locals more, whether it be a Malaga through to, I don't know, I've been to Malaga, but you know, so I don't know why I stuck out with Malaga, but uh, probably a bit unfair. There's probably, uh, yeah, tens of the resorts that we're, or I'm talking about, but isn't that interesting? It's because it's driven by a lack of respect of the members of that nation, I'm sorry to say, you know, behaviour in that environment and bring it back to the UK, bring it back to the global situation. That is the case everywhere we might be lucky enough to travel to, isn't it? You know, what you actually want is to go back to the Guinness scenario. So if I'm in New Zealand and or, um, I don't know, uh, out of Mongolia, um, then I've got I still got a feel good factor about Guinness because I know that they've treated me well. They've always sold me an honest product. And so what am I gonna choose? Guinness. Mm-hmm.